and what is up, podcast people and soundtrack geniuses around the globe. You're listening to The Soundcast, the official podcast of TrackSounds.com. I'm your host, Christopher Coleman. This is episode 64, and this episode is all about James Horner. I know you're speechless, but you're about to not be speechless as we get into this uh, discussion. Uh, on the Soundcast, we talk all things film, television, video game music, sometimes some trailer production music. If that's your thing, then you're going to love the next X amount of minutes because that's all we're going to be talking about. So on the line with us today, it's great to have back our co-hosts, Helen Son, Edmund Meinerts, Richard Buxton, Marius Masselar. Did I miss anybody? Because we have a lot of people. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Good. Yep. Doing great. You guys ready to talk about James Horner? Oh, what? I thought Always. we were talking about John Williams. <laughs> Not this minute. time, okay. but I'm sure he'll work his way into the conversation. <laughs> and our special guest uh, this time is uh, a returning guest, Mr. Tim J. Burden who was on our Man of Steel episode. I think that was 62. And uh, Tim Burton, of course, is a film music specialist, voice talent, host of Movie, Ma movie Magic and QTV's Movie Minute. Tim, welcome back to the Soundcast. Thank you. It's good to be back, and thanks for inviting me. And nice to meet uh, Richard, Marius, Helen, and Edmund. Good to meet you, too. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> <laughs> I swear we've done this before, but... Love the delay. No, I wasn't I wasn't there for Man of Steel, no, so I this think, would be the first time, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yes. I think maybe it was just... Uh, I don't think anyone... I think it was just me, Tim. There was one other person. Yes, but he, that was... Was his name not uh, Richard? No, Peter? Was it Peter? Oh, I can't remember, actually, but anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, it seems like ages ago. But there was another person, that's for sure. There was. Um, my memory's just drawing a blank right now, too. Uh, it's nice to see, you know, of course we're doing this through Skype. It's nice to see you have a Superman avatar on your Skype thing and not a Man of Steel avatar, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's been quite a while since we've all been together, and uh, we haven't done a What Have You Been Listening To together in a great long while. So we're going to start the show with that, and later on when we get to our main topic of the night, which is uh, happy birthday, James Horner. Um, one Doug Adams of the music of the Lord of the Rings is going to be joining us for that part of the discussion. So, Marius, I'm going to ask you, what have you been listening to? I have been listening to Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters, um, which I was very eager to get my hands on, obviously, because I'm a big fan of Mr. Lockington. And uh, not only because he's Canadian, um, because he's legitimately awesome. So I've got I've got some uh, some mixed feelings about the score. Uh, admittedly, I haven't spent enough time with it yet to really um, get a solid handle on it. Haven't seen the film or anything like that. In fact, I don't even know if it's out. Um, to be perfectly honest, but um, the music is, as I expected, crafted very very well. Um, mm -hmm. But I think for me, I was hoping for something to follow up Journey 2 in terms of just sheer visceral impact and like memorability, memorableness, memor memory, sticky, whatever that word is. <laughs> um, that memory thing. That memory thing that I can't remember. Um, <laughs> and it just, it didn't do that for me. So it's, it's very, it's enjoyable to listen to. There's good material in there, but there's some extra 
X factor that just wasn't there for me. So I, I'm not sure if that's something that will take some time to develop as I listen to it more. But overall, it's still one of the better scores from this year, I think. I think yeah. it might be. I, my experience with it was like when I first spun it, I was like, okay, this is it's good, but it's not up to Journey Two standards, and I don't, I still don't think it's up to Journey Two standards. Then again, what is? Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. But give it, you know, give it three or four listens, and you know, it'll 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 put some hooks into you. I yeah, think. no, I I will because I I enjoyed your review, and I I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, I I agree with most of it, and it's just it's a matter of me spending more time with it, and and hopefully I'll I'll, mm. you know, because my score wouldn't be an eight yet, but right. <laughs> yeah, I, and I was I was like I think everyone who had pretty high hopes for it, especially given Journey 2 and how great it was. So I, I found myself slightly disappointed, only because of the impossible expectation that, that was there. Um, but um, I think successive listens, like you were just talking about, Edmund, w will help that mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Um, Helen, what have you been listening to? Once Upon a Time uh, by Mark Isham. Uh-huh. Very, very good score. I, I, it's one of those scores I listen to over and over again. I just get in that mood. And, and I am usually not a big Isham fan, but this hmm. is his best score, in my opinion, hmm. to date. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even better than Racing Stripes. Wow. Yeah. Racing Stripes. Racing, Racing Stripes, Stripes is great. It is. Racing Stripes. I know. Well, I haven't, is that the I haven't horse? That one. It's, it's the, the like zebra movie. Race? Right. Oh, the zebra yeah. who races. I don't yeah. even remember. I don't remember what that score sounds like. I remember the cover, but I, don't, I can't remember the score at all. It's kind of a dull yeah. score, but uh, it's 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 such a great, really thrilling kind of music. It's it's yes. Yeah, it's, it's good yeah, it's got this this great big final race track, which is like eight minutes of kind of the Rocketeer type stuff. It's mm. which we'll probably talk about really later score. Yeah. Wow. yeah, it's really good. Okay, okay, okay. I'll have to I... dig that up. It's yeah. on but, um, you know, one of the best entries. Sorry, go ahead, Helen. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say, um, it, Once Upon a Time is a TV show. Uh, I think they finished uh, second season now, and it's it's a really good score for a TV show. Just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, Do you like the show itself? Oh, yes. That is part okay. of the reason I got hooked on the music, too. You know, it goes hand in hand. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. What else have you been listening to? Oh, a, a lot of old stuff. Uh, Goldenthal's... Um, Demolition Man. Mm. I hadn't listened to that in a long time. Yeah, me either. Me either. But it's good. It's really good. I mean, yeah. everything he does is really good. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, he's, yeah, he's a guy pull, with a voice. Yeah, pull us. If you have to pull a blast from the past, that that would be a good one. Yes, for sure. Um, any others? That's it. That's it. Okay. Then, uh, Tim, let me ask you, what have you been listening to? New ones of late. Well, a lovely one from Benjamin Wallfish called Summer in February. That's, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, do, do you know that one? It's very, very nice. Oh, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, it's fantastic. I've been meaning yeah. to pick that one up. I've heard only good things. Yeah, it's so elegant. And uh, he's just uh, it's beautiful writing. Um, his father plays cello on it as well. So it's it's mm. just a really, it's a really intimate score, but it's there's some terrific really kind of upbeat cues as well as some very dramatic and tender cues, you know. Mm -hmm. I was impressed Absolutely. with the um, the Conjuring by Joseph Bashira. I thought that was quite good. There's some clever ideas in there. 
there's actually a bit of a Mark Isham uh, collaboration there as well. Well, not collaboration, but uh, he he had to write something for the end of the film, or he had to write some, some kind of theme, which which you really a last minute thing, yeah. Um, but I recommend The Conjuring. It's on La La Land Records. Okay, it is a nice, nice. one if you're into horror. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I may have listened to it. I don't, it doesn't, but I'm not in a horror, so if it didn't really come out and, you know, grab me, I'd probably only listen well, to it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, I mean, it's not outstanding, but it's, it's, for what it is, it's, it's pretty good, you know. Um, and I mean, the, the film itself actually is, is worth seeing. So maybe it's, that's it's, what I've heard. It's better in context with the film, possibly, but, um, yeah. Some okay. old, older ones certainly. Um, it was great, great treat to get the Missouri Breaks, the you know from the Critzland, mm-hmm. uh, having the original film tracks, and that was mm-hmm. that was good. And Alan Silvestri's Fandango. It was great to finally hear that because I'd never heard it before. Well, before you go on, you, Missouri Breaks. Now there was a release of that. I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago now. How is this new one? Is it expanded from that or something? Yes, this new one has a few bonus tracks, but uh, significantly it has the original film tracks. So, um, What was on the last Missouri Breaks release? Uh, that was an RCA release? Uh, Ryko disc. Okay, Ryko disc. Yeah, yeah, it was a re-recording for the album. Oh, the, which was kind of oh, okay. Common for the time, you know. Yeah, um, yep. So there's a few variances here and there, but uh, being a kind of Williams completist, uh, you know, similar to like having Rosewood recently, these discs coming out are, um, you know, a treat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Anything else? Um, well, I think Christopher Gunning, I mean, uh, you guys all know Christopher Gunning. He's just recently mm-hmm. released a couple of non-film works, which I really uh, recommend because they have so many kind of, let's say, filmic textures, which you guys will probably enjoy. Um, Symphony Number no. 5 is is very melodic. There's some fantastic um, color in there and some real thrilling kind of writing that's um that's worth checking out if you like christopher mm-hmm. gunning's music uh i don't know that name why don't i know that name I what is he what what films has he done or wild africa is the only thing i can think of that he did um but i know he's done more than that well that was a documentary yeah, when when the whales came is quite a big film for him and then uh, cold lazarus uh you guys probably would be familiar with the Hercule Praro series with David Suchet over there. Apparently, it's on TV say, quite a lot. Say that again. Oh, the title? yeah, yeah. Poirot with David Suchet. He, he did the theme, you know, the saxophone-led theme. That's a, that's a really good. Uh, yeah, don't. That doesn't ring any <laughs> bells at, okay. at all. Uh, what, which is weird. Um, Le'Veon Rose. He, he won. He won the BAFTA for that score. Le'Veon Rose. The story about. Ip- oh, okay. Piaf. That was quite recent. Gotcha. But anyway, yeah, do. I mean, Christopher Gunning, if you want to, you know, Christopher-Gunning.co.uk is his website, and you, you listen to clips, and he's uh, he's such a great composer, and um, he's got an upcoming film, actually, about the grace of Monaco, which I think is coming out next year, so maybe that film, it'll be quite a big film for him, so maybe you, you oh, yeah. will notice that more, maybe you'll notice his name. Okay. And you say, oh, okay. that's the guy Tim was on about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll all come come rushing back in, huh? Okay, now I'm looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to to that um, to that film. Um, Richard, what have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to Attack on Titan. And what is that? That is an anime series uh, started this year based on a manga. No, you an anime? <laughs> uh, well, I don't really watch 
TV shows so often. I can never oh. get past the first episode of anything. <laughs> but in this case, I actually think it's really, really good and worth watching. It's very violent, kind of scary, but... Uh, Anime? Yeah. Violent? Yeah, especially. No. It's kind of crazy. No, that's saying something. If it's especially violent for an anime that's saying something is this kind it's of like people is, is this like new wave manga is it i haven't read the manga but um okay. apparently it's really really popular so i guess they're making a video game two video games a movie i guess what? they'll have more series after this one so it's big and the, the opening theme song is the number one song in japan right now so it's pretty big really yeah. huh Attack on Titan. I don't know that one. Yeah, I it's not related it. to Titan AE, right? No. <laughs> the sequel to Titan AE. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I guess it could be a long time in the past. A long, long, long oh, a prequel. Yeah. A prequel. Gotcha. Speaking of anime, just real quick. Two crazy exciting things. Princess Mononoke on Blu-ray in December. Awesome. And whispers of a sequel to... Um, Nausicaa. Oh my gosh. Wow. Don't even they shouldn't even say that if it's not gonna happen because really? that, that that's just that just will break my heart if that's just a rumor. Anyway, Yikes. just since since we're talking anime, I just wanted to throw those two things in there because they both made me very happy. Um anything else, Richard? Um those, that's that the is, big one. That is very interesting. Did you say who the who did the score? Uh, it's Hiroyuki Sawana. So, what he, has he done? The name is familiar. What has he done? What else? Uh, have to think. Uh, he did Blue Exorcist. Um, uh, I don't know what big things he's done. It's it kind of like the electronic y, electric bit. guitar uh, kind of crazy. His music stuff. is kind of weird. Um, yeah. It's really harsh sound. I'd, have you ever heard Evangelion? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of almost as harsh as that music. I can't listen to Evangelion music at all. It's too much. Uh. But uh, what is, I'm just looking at what he's done. He did, he's done Gundam. Uh huh. Gigantic formula and Blue Exorcist. Okay. I think he's, uh, he's kind of hard to listen to sometimes, but in this case, I really enjoy it. It really fits the series very well. It's a okay. harsh sound because the show is about these huge titans breaking into a city and basically eating everybody. <laughs> so, nice. it, it kind of fits pretty well. So, yeah. very, very accurate um, uh, title. Yeah. yeah, I recommend you watch it. It's okay. very good. Okay. All right. Um, but, but, but Edmund, what have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to Mark Mancina's Planes a lot, and I really like it. I think the main theme is probably my favorite of the year so far. Ooh, that's saying something. Yeah, it's just it has this just like this really nice sort of nostalgic warm feel to it the whole thing i mean the whole thing sounds like it could have been composed in like 1995 it's like mancina hasn't aged at all since he did you know twister or whatever it's yeah. totally his, i mean it's totally him doing his 90s action thing and mm. i love it yeah love i've been listening to planes too i forgot it's awesome did you see it no not yet no, no. how about you edmund i don't think i will yeah, that's the thing. It's like it got panned so hard. I was like, "Wow!" I just didn't. The trailer looked like okay, you know. It just looked like oh, it's gonna be cars in the air. I was, I mean, I was really surprised at that first trailer that came out with just the Mancina music and nothing else. 
Uh huh. I mean, well, was, that was the, that was the second. Well, yeah. that was the first full trailer. The teaser was like sounded like Harold, Harold Faltermeyer, or maybe they actually used Harold <laughs> Faltermeyer, but they were going for that whole Top Gun vibe. Uh, the, the planes thing is weird, isn't it? Because John Lasseter was so behind it, and it was supposed to be his baby, but then suddenly it's all been disowned, isn't it? Did he? Well, yeah, but for some reason Pixar aren't behind it anymore. Is that not it or something? Um, it's like, well, it's, it's Disney. Disney. I, I, right. I read that somewhere, but it, it's supposed to be like a big Pixar thing, but suddenly now it's just Disney. Well, yeah, I thought it was always a Disney, you know, a Disney thing. Um, I don't think it was ever going to have the Pixar title or the Pixar brand on it for some reason. Right. I don't know. Okay, I always but thought it was. Maybe they knew where it was going. They're like, no, 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 no. This <laughs> I have the Pixar brand on. Yeah, it. maybe, maybe. But they put their name on um, Cars Two. Cars Two. Yeah. So why not? It was originally <laughs> you know? meant to be direct to DVD. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It kept bouncing back and forth. That's as right. To what it was going to yeah. be. Yeah. And that trailer made it look like yeah, okay, that could I could see that being a, a feature film, but clearly not. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else, Edmund? Uh, I've also been listening to Elysium by Ryan Amon, and I don't like it. I'm sorry. I I mean <laughs> I really wish I could be rooting for the new guy and, and such, and I I just I love the story behind how he got the gig and yeah, it's just you know. I don't like the, what the end result, though. I mean, he overuses the low brass one note thing that in, that Inception kind of popularized, which is never my—it's not my favorite film music device at the best of times. And when it's overused to this extent, it just gives me a roaring headache. And does it does it bother you in Oblivion too? In—it's uh, used a little more tastefully in Oblivion. I mean, it is used a lot, but yeah. Um. It bothers me. I mean, it bothers me in this almost as much as it did in Battleship by Jablonski, and yeah, I've kind of totally blocked that film and score from my mind. So it's just like, what are you talking about, Battleship? Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie called Battleship. I know. Yeah. I mean, the only good thing about that is Rihanna in uniform. That's the only thing. <laughs> oh, <gee. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Elysium's just kind of there, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's it's. It's decent. It's loud. It's, just, it's kind of there. It's loud you know? enough. Yeah. Um, it's not badly done. It's just, it's just, it it it's get lo- it gets lost in the sea of that's the sea of that sound yeah. that we have so much of, you know, which yeah. is unfortunate. It's it's but, it's not distinctive enough. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'd be interesting to see where that takes him, because that's man, that is an incredible story. I mean, it's such a a, a, a great leap from not total obscurity, but close. Yeah. Um, Can't help uh, but wish that you know if he was going to take someone out of the trailer music world and throw him onto a big film like that, it would have been Thomas Burgerson instead. But I don't. Nope. I wonder if he even wants to. You know. I'm sure he's been asked. He's too talented he's too to not have been. I, th- asked. I think they must have. I mean, did they not do like a massive concert? Didn't they? At the Walt Disney they did. concert hall recently. And uh, yep. so, I mean, I think those guys like are, are just loaded. <laughs> yeah, they're like, why would I do that? Why would I step down and do that? You know, um, I'm sure they've been. A, he's been approached. He has to have. Um, okay, well, cool. And of course. You, um, you talked about Percy Jackson a little bit too already, and your review is on the site, extended review, mm-hmm. and been getting some good comments on it. So that is awesome. Um, so what have I been listening to? You ask. Let me tell you. 
<laughs> before Tim before Tim tells you. <laughs> um, uh, finally, they released Craig Armstrong's The Great Gaps, Gatsby, the original score. Um, and it absolutely blew my mind. Um, is it earth-shaking, groundbreaking? No, but it's it's absolutely beautiful. It has, it's just it's romantic from start to finish. Um, it, it is, it is by far. Well, I won't say by far because of uh, summer in February. Is it summer in February? That's right. Is that the title, Tim. Yeah, yep. that that one's right up there. But this one, there's just. I don't know. It's just so blatantly romantic and just beautiful. And, you know, when he works in um, Lana Del Rey's vocal, it's just like, oh, it, it is my it is my favorite dramatic slash romantic score, I think, of the year so far. And, and, and it'll be hard to topple it. Although we'll see what when does um, Romeo and Juliet come out? Is that this year? Um, it's supposed to be later this year. Yes. Yes. Yeah. OK, so Korzenowski could pull you know something special which i expect but it'll really have to be something uh to topple that it's 13 dollars and something cents for the digital only uh at amazon which is it's which to me and i complained about it on twitter i felt that was overpriced but to be honest it's so good that i feel fine with it uh paying that much um i think it's one of craig armstrong's best works in a long time but i mean just it's phenomenal has, has anyone else listened to it? I haven't gotten around to it yet. I no, but a, a thought just flashed through my mind. Um, Korzeniowski versus Armstrong, Battle of the Romantic Masters. That might be coming. That may be coming come the Q Award season. Um, it could very well be uh, uh, the race. But I, I can't recommend it enough. Tim, have you heard it? Have you listened to it? Yeah, Greg Gatsby is, is, is up there. It really is uh, a beautiful score. And um, I mean, it's one of these things that apparently he was pushing ages for it to be released, you know? Um, yeah. With, with Warner Brothers. And it's good that it's finally out there. And uh, there are some lovely cues. There's influences of Ravel and a bit of Debussy. And, mm -hmm. uh, but his own voice definitely shines through. and beautiful orchestrations from Matt Dunkley and it's just little yeah. John Barry in there too little John Barry in some spots which, yeah which, the infinite yeah. hope cue nope. yeah yeah know what you mean yes yeah 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 and so you know you don't hear a lot of people say oh that sounds like John Barry you know these days <laughs> so that in of itself is a is I'd say a compliment um so it needs to be released on CD though I mean give me a break you know <laughs> I mean 256 kilobyte mp3 okay that'll that'll satiate until such time as a cd finds its way into my lap um <laughs> but i can't recommend it highly enough so that and then on the flip side of that well not really the flip side uh the 25th reich by ricky edwards has anyone heard that yet no it is freaking just a blast to listen to um Mostly, well, the first track, if you, I don't know if it's on Spotify or, or any of that yet. Um, but Ricky, Ricky Edwards, if you've not heard of him, which I hadn't until this came out, uh, I think he was an assistant. Oh, he was, to uh, David Hirschfeld. So he's an Australian composer. Um, and he's written the score for this, this, this kind of a B-movie uh, homage um, 
Uh, let me just read you a little bit about it so, so you have some context. Um, it, it was a novel, pulp novel, 50,000 years until tomorrow by sci-fi author J.J. Solomon. Um, it mixes traditions of World War II adventures with elements of sci science fiction, including time travel of five American soldiers who battle Nazi robots and giant prehistoric animals while retrieving the ultimate superweapon that can decide the war. Um, so... Just imagine what the score for this might sound like. Well, it starts off with the 25th Reich March, and the first few notes are exactly the Imperial March. I mean, it's not close. The first few notes are the Imperial March from Star Wars. Um, and so when you, so those first few notes coming out of your 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 speakers, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought I put the 25th Reich on not Star Wars. What happened? That was my reaction. Then it changes, and you're like, oh wait, what is this? So that, that march is like, okay, um, is this whole thing just going to be a Star Wars rip? And it kind of is just John Williams from start to finish, whether it's Raiders of the Lost Ark references or other Star Wars, you know, prequel kind of Star Wars style references. But man, is it ever fun. I mean, is it just, it's just like listening to John Williams music from the 70s and 80s, but it's not John Williams. It's a little bit budgety. You can hear, you know, you can hear where it's synth. Um, now, I, I don't know if it's a mixture of synth and live um, orchestra, but it's it gets harder and harder to tell these days. Or if it's all synth, I can't tell it completely, but you can tell that it's not a hundred percent symphonic orchestra. But man, is it it is really really fun, really enjoyable to listen to. If you can, if you're okay with someone else, if someone else sounding like John Williams and intentionally doing so, um, and so. This, I think the digital was released. This was released by Movie Score Media. Um, and it was released digitally on July 30th. But the CD release is coming on the, set, on the 17th of September from, from the, the new Kronos Media, media Score, or Movie Score Media merged company. Um, and so, highly, highly, highly recommend that if, if, if you can get along with that sort of thing and it doesn't bug you that it's not. You know that it sounds so much James. Um, what's that guy's name? John Williams, because uh, it's very, very, very John Williams. I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's done some good stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so if you like that style, uh, very clearly that style, then um, I would highly recommend the Twenty Fifth Right. It's on audio, by the way. I just double checked. Oh, is yep. it? Oh, then go check it out. Not right now, but go check it out here in Canada at least. Okay, after you're after you're done listening to this show, please do go and check it out. Uh, so that's what we've been listening to. We always like to know what you guys are listening to, and you guys tweet at us all the time and and are posting some great things that um, uh, you guys are listening to. And uh, so we encourage you to do that and to contact us about any and all things film music. We love to talk to you about those things. And Marius is going to tell you how you can do that. Yeah, guys, we are super connected. Um, email is probably the easiest for most of you, soundcast at tracksounds.com. Um, you can also leave us a voicemail now. We're no longer using Google Voice. We're using SpeakPipe. There's a little button on the side of our website. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at tracksounds. We're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash tracksounds. And obviously, you should listen and subscribe to us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and most recently on TuneIn Radio. Um, and we've got an RSS feed if you're stuck in the 90s and don't want to leave. <laughs> hey, I use RSS feeds. 
and I'm not stuck in the 90s. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh <laughs> I mean, what's the replacement for RSS? I don't know. No, no, it's what it's is. true. And I'm just, you know, because Google killed Reader. Oh, I see. But Feedly's yes. very nice. Yes, I like Feedly. We're going to jump now into our main discussion of the night, which is wishing Mr. James Horner a happy birthday. And how are we going to do that? Well, we're just going to talk about him. You know, what better present to give this composer than to dedicate a podcast episode to him? Looking back over our 64 episodes, we've never dedicated a show to him. And it was his birthday um, just a few days ago, August 14th. And um, so I wanted to bring him into the forefront and to help us do that, amongst all of our wonderful co-hosts and our guest, Tim Burden, we have another ho- uh, guest coming on, Mr. Doug Adams. And I'm sure you know that name. Of course, he's a mu- musicologist. And he's the author of the wonderful book, The Music of the Lord of the Rings. Doug, welcome back to the Soundcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you. Now, before we dive into too deeply into, this, into our James Horner discussion... In case there's someone listening to this podcast who like James Horner, who let's just quickly go over um, this man's bio. Uh, James Roy Horner, born August 14th, 1953, American American composer and conductor. I always wonder why he has a British accent, but he's American <laughs> composer and conductor, orchestrator of orchestral and film music. Uh, some of the titles you've, May, if you're new to film music and you're just kind of like, what is this all about? Why do people listen to it? You've heard his music. Um, Titanic, Braveheart, Willow, Apollo 13, Star Trek II, Glory, The Mask of Zorro. It goes on and on. The Rocketeer, Beautiful Mind. So many. And, of course, Avatar. Um, so many films under his belt. And some, in just doing a little research last night, and I put it on Twitter, became a little bit of a conversation as far as Wikipedia shows, this is the first year, 2013, that James Horner does not have a new score being released in that calendar year. And 35 years, that's pretty impressive whether you like the man or hate the man. That's pretty amazing. Um, and so uh, maybe someone put out there on Twitter that well, maybe they'll release his um, rejected score for Romeo and Juliet. That'd be great. And it will keep the streak alive, so I hope it happens. But if not, 2013, a very momentous year, at least in that way. Um, so that's James Horner. Uh, everyone on this show right now I know is very well acquainted. He's He's been the subject of debate ever since I found the Internet. I think the first <laughs> time I logged on to AOL, I saw a chat <laughs> about the love and hate of James Horner. And it will probably never go away. Um, so let's start there. Let me ask you guys. Let me ask you, Doug, uh, first. What, what what was your what was the first score of James Horner that re- really caught your attention? I was trying to think about that when you did the intro, and I, uh, boy, I feel like it, it must have been one of the Star Trek scores. But I think I had those on on like uh, the Eric Kunzel uh, compilation album mm. for the. Record. 
mm -hmm. flips there. I think the first, and, and I could be misremembering, but I think the first full score of his, or full album of his that I ever got was The Rocketeer. Mm -hmm. um, possibly, probably. But uh, so that would have been what, the, uh, the, the late 80s, early 90s? What year was that? Early in 93. 91, okay, yeah. I think it was 93. So that was, you know, I, I was very familiar with who he was at that point. But I think that was the first time I pulled the trigger and then bought a uh, you know, full disc of his music. Wait, wait, what did you say, Rocketeer? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's not 93. Yeah, that's right. That's late 80s. Okay, yeah, it was like 89, 90. I, yep. I should remember, but I don't. Something like I that, yeah. See. Okay. Um, Marius, what was the first score of James Horner that, that caught your attention? Uh, I think it was probably um, Legends of the Fall. Um, but yeah, I, 90, that was 93. Yeah, but it's it's weird because I think it's ninety five. Right? It not the rocket. No, it's not ninety five. Definitely 94. not ninety five. Ninety four. Ninety four. If that had been ninety five, then yeah, it a lot impossible. Um, yeah, impossible. The Rocketeer is ninety one. Okay, gotcha. So, Legends of the Fall was it in the movie, or you just heard the music? No, it's it's. Or? I'm not even sure. I think I probably saw the film on TV at some point. Um, because yeah, I like. Probably the first time his music stood out to me in a film would have been Titanic, but for some reason that just never um, stuck with me in quite the same way. Um, I just, for some reason, Legends of the Fall was was the one that I always remember most fondly as my introduction to his work. So, yeah, that's that's the one for me. Okay, uh, Helen, what was the, the first score of his that that uh, caught your attention? Glory, it was Glory. It was amazing. I love that movie, and I was a very, very new um, film music fan at the time. And mm -hmm. um, Hans Zimmer was the one that got me noticing, and Glory was pretty much the... Who? Hans Zimmer. Who was that? Hans Zimmer. Uh, I, I don't know. You don't know him? Who never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. Power of One. Yeah. yeah oh, that guy. Gotcha. <laughs> What's gotcha. he been doing these days? Now I'm with you. It's been a real slow. He's getting a classical Brit. Don't this. You know, he um, should get some superhero movies. Yeah, really. Yeah, or some video games or something. You know, there's probably a door open there. Um, now, Glory was like 88, 89, yeah, right? 89. Something like that. 89, I think, yeah. yeah. And I just completely fell in love with the score. Rushed out, got it. It's still one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um and Edmund, what about you? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like such a little kid when I say this, but honestly, Avatar is the first one that really caught my attention. Um, hmm. It's not the first score of his I heard though. I mean, I guess the score the score that the first score of his that I heard was Titanic, but because I didn't like it, I didn't put that. Um, mm -hmm. I went through a relatively short, a mercifully short phase of really not liking James Horner. Because I was picking up all the wrong scores, I, I got, I got Titanic, Braveheart, which at the time I didn't like because it reminded me too much of, of Titanic, and I, I, I was young and foolish. I, uh, I'm not sure. It was in my college years. Everyone experiments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, keep it clean, keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then when Avatar came out, um, I mean, at the time, my preferences were distinctly more Hans Zimmer inclined. And so when Avatar came out, um, I was I was impressed by it because the, some of the action music in that leans a bit more into the modern kind of side. And so that's sort of 
that was sort of the the middle ground that eventually you know pulled me over and got me got me mm-hmm. back into James Horner and exploring his, his stuff and then realizing okay I was an idiot this is a great composer <laughs> okay <laughs> all right uh, Richard what about you first um, James Horner score that cut your I'd have to go with Casper um, when I saw it uh, I, that's interesting I wasn't a film music fan really at all apart uh. from Maybe watching the credits of Top Gun at the beginning. I kind of like that. But, <laughs> um, That's awesome. Brave to that. <laughs> uh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise. So you really like that planes uh, at the, very, the very beginning. That was, I thought that was really good. I still like it. it yeah, it, it, it's cool. Yeah. No doubt. No I think doubt. Danger Zone cuts in a bit too fast. But yeah, I kind of do it. Casper, really, I didn't notice much of it up until. When Bill Pullman's wife, his wife's ghost, appears towards the end, and I was really impressed by just that wow, sequence. I don't even remember that movie. It's like <laughs> the, the lullaby theme, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes, the Casper's lullaby. It's very, is amazing. It's very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that was '95, right? '93, '95. '95, yeah. The the like his best year ever, you know, in terms of vo- quality and volume, even. Um, uh, interesting. Casper, I would not have expected to hear or see anyone mention that one. Um, for myself, it was Wrath of Khan, not necessarily in 1982 uh, when it came out, but um, it. I actually I saw the movie long ago, and then I think I had it on VHS or something, and I just remember, you know, watching the the opening credits, and, and the music was just, you know, it was amazing, and then you see his name. I was like, okay, you know, and from then on, I started noticing his name attached to lots of movies that somehow the music had impressed me. But I distinctly remember one particular viewing of the VHS of Star Trek II, the real Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, um, that his name. <laughs> real Star Trek. Well, why, why are you guys laughing? <laughs> I'm deadly serious about that. <laughs> his name, you know, seeing his name and, and associating it with the music that I was listening to. And uh, I can't say I became a big fan at that time. I was just like, oh, this guy is someone other than John Williams that I recognize the name of now. Um, so I don't know what year that was exactly, but it was definitely much later than 1982. Um, so quite diverse. Uh, it's interesting to, to, to look at that and, and talk that through how we're all pulled in on, on very, very different um, uh titles uh well you know a lot of his scores get talked about quite a bit um and some more than others deservedly so maybe not so deservedly so so i just wanted to see what you guys think maybe some of his more overrated scores are uh and i'll start and i'll say avatar and i I think it's a solid score i just think at the time it got way too much praise and I know people have said, oh, you need to listen to something, but listen to it really loud, and it sounds a lot better. I think Eric Yeah, Eric said that. It's just turned it louder, and, and it makes it better. That didn't work. I tried it, and it's like, no, I just, I, now I just, my head hurts, and I don't like it. Um, so I think it's solid, but I just thought at the time it got so much more praise than it was due. Um, and so that was mine. Uh, anyone have agree, disagree with that? Yeah, that's I, mine as well, actually. 
I had uh, similar thoughts. It was so hyped, um, and I guess I was expecting wonders, and it just was not... It didn't sound like the amount of time it took to write it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Doug, interesting on that, on Avatar, because, you know, they wrote their own language and, you know, all of that, which implies that there's so much more depth. Um, do, have you ever done any, like, research into that whole process that they did there? Uh, uh, on Avatar or that process in yeah. general? No, no, I, I haven't... Uh... I haven't spent much time researching Avatar. I, you know, I, I was not a huge fan. I, I didn't hate it. I don't have the album, anything like that. But uh, okay, hmm, just wasn't worth Doug Adams. <laughs> I have I have a complicated <laughs> relationship with the music of James Harden, so I'll chime in on that later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we look forward to hearing that. Uh, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> Tim, what about you? What, which do you think there is a such thing as an overrated score for James Horner? Uh, well, yeah, I mean there is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, certainly. Just making certainly, sure. <laughs> I would go with the like. So you see, I'm probably in the minority here, but I'm not a massive fan of the Star Trek ones. You know, of, of those two he did. Um, there's some great moments to them, but um, they never really, never really stood out very much to me. You know, uh, I would hmm. be more. Of the, you know, my first association with Horner would have been like an American Tale, Willow, that kind of cocoon era, mid '80s to late '80s, because that's kind of my, you know, age of growing up or whatever. So right. those are the films which I would have watched over and over again on VHS, and then wanted to get the album, you know, because uh, I mean, yeah. an American Tale, that beautiful main title sequence, it's just so en enchanting, yes. you know, uh, and it's a good, I think, three, three, four minutes solely of the music. And it just, it's a great introduction to the orchestra, uh, you know, for, for a young kid watching that, um, you sure. know. But so are you saying that's overrated? You're not saying that's no, overrated, No, right? no, 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 I'm not. I'm just... You're I'm saying just, that I'm, was good I, in I, comparison. I'm just backtracking okay. slightly, but uh, to, to okay. what, you know, the thoughts on Horner. I'm just, the, uh -huh. the Star Trek, yeah, overrated uh, to me. Um, the two, for Avatar... As a complete listening experience, I mean, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be, yeah, I wouldn't go to it often. There's two cues which stand out, which are Jake's first flight and war, really. Mm -hmm. and they both stand mm -hmm. out as being, there's also one with that weird rhinoceros thing, it's very sort of Stravinsky-esque, you know, that, that, that's a nice cue. But mm -hmm. I mean, there's maybe, you know, about three, three or four good musical moments in that, but no, I wouldn't be a, a massive fan. So I wouldn't say it's overrated, yeah. but I, I just... You see, I don't think over Avatar's an overrated score. To be honest, um, hmm. I don't. I, you don't often hear people praise it, do you? Well, not now, but back when it came. Not out. so much now, but back Maybe then. Maybe at the time. Well, was, I think it was. It was, it was it just probably like, yeah because of the, the the general kind of hype of it all. But I mean, whenever whenever I think I people first... talk about Titanic more now than they do Avatar, to be honest, which isn't much on either case. But I think I still hear Titanic referenced more. Yeah. Good for good or for bad, then I do Avatar. Well, as, as much as you might uh, hate the music for Titanic, um, I mean, the, so I the, the song, because I work in radio, I, you know, I, I couldn't listen to it again because it's played so, so often. <laughs> I don't think you know, anyone can I just, to that anymore. <laughs> I can. I can. Well, we'll, we'll get into but that. The, I think the score for Titanic is, is fantastic. And uh, to be honest with you, I would always go, I would go straight to the back Titanic CD because those... Yeah. Lovely symphonic uh, arrangements yes, he did. The sweet, exactly, yeah, fantastic. I think, uh, and, yeah. and I think the live choir worked better than that weird Enya kind of fake choir. You know, <laughs> I think, yeah. um, 
uh, someone disagrees, who just groaned very provocatively. <laughs> no, I think that was an agreement groan. Oh, was it? No, oh, okay, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, it no, wasn't. Oh, okay. it was, yeah. About the fake choir? Yeah, it was kind of a... Yeah. You prefer the real choir? Okay. Um, I certainly don't like the fake one. Okay. So he was agreeing with you. Yes. Because that, that's... All right, cool. That was what your okay. point was. Good, yeah. Good. Yeah. So, Edmund, continue, because um, yes. I think there's something. Yes, Titanic else. is where I'm going to throw down my over my overrated flag, because, ah, uh, that's, I don't know. <laughs> there's just some ingredients in that score that I think don't work at all, and there's certain ingredients that I think do. Um, but the two in particular that I just remember not liking at all is the, the pseudo-Enya fake choir stuff, and the Irish stuff is the other. You think that was inappropriate or didn't work? The Irish um, stuff. It's so well, I don't think it was. I don't think it was necessarily inappropriate. I, just, I think it was kind of unnecessary, and I mean, it's a little obvious that that's just, you know, Horner writing his favorite kind of music. Hmm. But guys, we have to remember that was his. That was his brief from that. James Cameron. Remember, you know, he, he was James Cameron was obsessed with Enya, and yes. um, he said to Horner, "Let's, you know." I want this kind of sound. So, um, considering he had, he had that brief, I thought he did pretty well because whenever the ship leaves Southampton and you have that kind of, uh, not, you know, it's not my favorite, fair enough. I'd rather have a real choir do it, but the fake choir, it's effective in the film and, you know, the dolphins are in the sea. Yeah. And that is just, it's a great marriage of visual and music for I me. Mean, for me. I mean, do, do you guys not agree? You don't think it gives it I kind don't of a think sense? it's aged well. Uh, it, maybe it so. Sounds so 90s. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, and it, you know, it is anachronistic in terms of you know, you certainly wouldn't be hearing that on the docks of wherever the heck they were, Southampton. Um, but it sounds like that's what you're saying that it doesn't it, that the, the synth part didn't work. Well, that's just my dislike of synth standing in for real instruments, anyway. But that was totally intentional. I know. I mean, he he knew that was the exact sound that he wanted. Yeah, I I I, I don't doubt it. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But I I just didn't. I was making making sure that you weren't saying that you know. Well, he was using synth, and it sounds bad because. But it could have and should have been a live orchestra playing those parts or live instruments. Right. right. I mean, I would. I mean, I would have preferred it if it was. You would prefer. Yeah, but I mean, if it's sure. an artistic choice, I'm sure. I'm just gonna say I don't think it was a necessarily a great one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Helen, what about you? Overrated. I'd have to go with Titanic too. Uh, I think that was the score where I, that whole James Horner debate really sunk in for me. You know, because mm-hmm. I had been a pretty big Horner fan up to then, and then, and then I went to the movies because I saw the movie like five times, you know, mm-hmm. in the theater. <laughs> Everyone did. I, like, I, think, I think we all did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I and didn't. So, I was five. But... <laughs> and so after a while, I was like, you know, this is like I hear he didn't. He just copied and pasted. You know, it really sunk in for me that. That there is nothing new in that score. Well, but what's interesting when you say that is the stuff that is new or is the stuff that Edmund specifically doesn't like. Right. You know, he had, he'd never really done that sort of marriage of synth and 
symphonic orchestra like that that I can think of. Well, yeah, maybe a little bit, bit in Apollo 13. In Braveheart, yeah. Some of the um, the battle, uh, the battle cue, what's it called? But anyway, you know, that big also, Scottish battle, there, there is some uh, electronic elements in there. Kind of a, like a roaring noise. But it doesn't sound like a, you know, a blatant synth, does it? Can someone... I don't in, in Braveheart, it yeah, it does a little bit. He had a lot of either even early on. He had Sinclair on things like Willow and uh, that, uh, yes. uh, I forget his first name. Underwood uh, performed all that. So oh, was, he and he and like, yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. I always wondered if you got that Titanic sound. If if some of that uh, more on Cameron's end than on Horner's end was was inspired by the Enya tune from uh, Far and Away. Hmm. Following that reasoning, that's you know um, Cameron originally wanted. Hmm? What's that one? Any of these? I think it's called like Book of Days or something. Book of Days, that yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And, yeah and, I've looked that one up. It sounds a lot like Williams to and, score Titanic, and and Williams didn't uh, didn't have. That's time. right. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he because he was doing yeah. Lost World. And even wow. had he said yes, I can't imagine that partnership would have gone too well because he was on that I project for uh, many many months. Uh, wow. I wonder if that was maybe some of the Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably it could have been that, a ten track. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I just can't imagine what a, a John Williams score would have how it would have felt. I'm sure it would have worked, but now it's just it's impossible to divorce those two things. That's true. That that music and that movie. Um wow, very interesting. See, Doug, that's why it's so good to have you around. Hey. Um, <laughs> um who'd I met? Uh Richard, overrated. Um, I'd go with aliens. Wow! Sacrilege. Why? Really bad. <laughs> I don't understand what, what, what's good about that score at all. I don't understand. And I don't like the movie. What, what is it that you don't like? Just, well, okay, the truth is coming out now. Just, what? Nothing. I don't like any of it, really. I mean, I love James Warner, so if there was something to like, I'm sure I would. Yeah, find it's it. true. <laughs> but it's so—it's kind of atypical. Yeah. I guess. So maybe that's just maybe it. It's not that atypical. It's—it's it, it's pretty. Essentially, an offshoot of what he was already doing in like Star Trek and Crawl. The action music is anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, the tone is overall much. It's, more, it's a lot sharper. harsher and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think Greg yeah. McRitchie probably needs credit for that. You know, to a lot. Um, the orchestra, Greg McRitchie. Uh, you know, and the so honestly, um, Richard, even Bishop's uh, Countdown that doesn't move anything for you, no? I don't even remember happens because it just <laughs> all blends into one boring track for me wow so I've, I've Interesting. tried i tried i remember when we spoke about it eric said listen to it louder and i and i did <laughs> <laughs> uh, amazing oh, it certainly um, appealed to anyone that cut trailers in the 90s oh wow yeah that's true yeah good point good point uh doug did you have one or more that you thought Overrated? Might be overrated, yeah. Oh, golly. Uh, <laughs> can you pare it can down to back? just one I don't, or two? <laughs> I don't much care for Krull. I've, I've, uh, oh, I've not subjected boy. myself to the picture, but... Uh, <laughs> Say I, that again? I, I haven't actually seen it in the picture. I will. Oh, okay. Oh, don't. don't. It's, it's such a bad film. Don't well, terrible. I'm trying to oh, give, then it's give a it classic. out right now, so I'm going to leave it. <laughs> it has Liam Neeson, man. I didn't know I Liam Neeson. Yeah, he's in it. He's one of his first ever films. That's right. Yeah. I don't did not know that. It's not the yeah, one where he yells at the elephant. 
Other than everything's dark now. Never mind. <laughs> so, so crawl. Yeah, I, wow, I you did know, not expect I've, that. Warner has, really has a particular sound where he uses um, uh, a lot of triadic harmonies that don't have extensions and, and, uh, you know, it's it's part of a sort of epic sound that he likes to get that outer spacey sound. It's it's uh, what a lot of the Star Trek um, thematic material is based on, and I I like that sound, but it starts to feel very vanilla to me after a point because it doesn't have anything other than these very clean types of chords. Um, you know, just three note chords, really, essentially, if you're, you're speaking kind of reductively about it. And and I mm-hmm. think a lot of that sound came from Crawl and those early Corman pictures and that sort of thing. And I, I never really mm-hmm. caught into that so much. You know, it, it always seems a little bit too scrubbed and clean to me. It doesn't have much uh, much in the way of teeth to it, and I never liked that so much. So that was something mm-hmm. that that you know didn't really speak to me as it did to some people, I suppose. I know it's a, it's a very popular score. A lot of people think that's uh, the best thing he ever wrote. So. It's got its fans. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Huh. And so in discussions that you've had over the years, you've, you, you've heard a lot of people, or a lot of people have, have praised that, more than other things that you think are, are unworthy of that praise? Well, that, one's a, that one has uh, popped out to me. But I mean, it does, it does feel like a very young effort, which is maybe part of the appeal, <laughs> too. You know, it, it has sort of a, an innocence and naivete to it, but uh, I don't know, it's yeah. just... Uh, Crawl was what year? 79? 83. 80? 83, I'm pretty sure. Oh, 83? That late? Yeah. That was after Star it was, Trek? It was too? after Star Trek. Oh. One year after. Wow, yeah. okay. I thought it was the other way around. Right. Uh, Star oh. Trek was uh, you know, the reason he got the gig. Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought it was the other way around. That movie scared me. I remember that. I mean, it was fairly... Well, I guess it was... Was that 83? So I was 14. I remember the end of that movie when that big thing whatever it was you thought it was dead and it's not that i remember that, that i will always remember that part i haven't seen it uh you'll, you'll forget all about it before by the time you see it um, <laughs> did you yeah, hear of that weird uh, one-eyed man as well who was like about ninth yes <laughs> yeah 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 i remember that dude um long before, long before okay. the days of cgi <laughs> <laughs> long before <laughs> But hey, it was all real and it was all there in picture, which is nice. Um, any others, Doug, or is that that's your that's your trophy? <laughs> we'll leave it at that for now. Though. Okay, all right. Did I miss anyone? I think we all got to dig out our overrated. Yeah, okay, so, so happy we'll birthday, move on into James. You yeah, know, we're just you're just so overrated. Happy yeah. birthday! No, we wanted to get that out of the way because no discussion on Horner is complete without that so now that that's out of the way i think a more fun and more interesting discussion now will commence on what we think are some of his more underrated scores and um marius will start with you um okay so i've got i think basically there's three of them that i think of that i enjoy but i hear um relatively few people speaking about the first one that came to mind for me was deep impact um Mm. which you know, I mean, it's a disaster film, but if you actually go back mm-hmm. and listen to it and, and watch it um, in the film, especially, it's a very, very pretty score. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure um, it, uh, this falls into the category of scores that, that Doug would very rightly consider lack teeth. Um, but 
even so they're enjoyable to listen to um and for me it just seems like it was one of the the prettier ones that for some reason just flew under people's radar probably because it was attached to a, a film that people didn't like um yeah. So that was, I think, a victim of the film more than anything else. But if you do happen to have an opportunity to go back and listen to it, I encourage giving it a try because it's actually there's some very nice moments on there. And, and it was his first feature film score after Titanic. So yeah, I think there was a pretty high bar like, oh, in, in one in one nice. sense, a high bar. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, that. OK. Yeah. Um, and then I think uh, the other one was uh, Land Before Time which may have more significance for me only because it was a movie that I watched a lot um, growing up. So, Underrated, beautiful score. I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak of that in anything but the highest of terms. Yes, but I've almost never heard anyone speak of it, period. And that's more what I was hmm. referring to. Really? Like, I've, I, don't, I can't even remember the last time someone's mentioned the Land Before Time score to me, so that's why hmm. I bring it up. It's, I definitely think that it got the credit it deserved in terms of people recognizing its beauty, but I don't, I don't yeah. feel like... It doesn't get talked yeah, about. Yeah, I just maybe it's just me and I, I haven't heard it, but for some reason it, it doesn't get talked about very often. Yeah. That, that I hear. Yeah. Now, if if memory serves, it's like there's like four or five tracks on the whole thing, but they're like huge, long, yeah, sweet, they're sweet yeah, giant. Kind of, if memory serves, that's Horner's modus operandi, though. I mean, he just did the same thing on like Willow and. But those are the best. Those I love when he does that. That those to me are the are are his best works, or when he's able to take seven, eight, nine, ten minutes and just. Go, yeah, you know, and work his work his horn of magic. I, I just oh, like that he yeah. gets an opportunity to do that um, for for so many of those scores. You know, the, whether it's because of the director or he just says, "Screw it, I'm I'm doing this." Um, and but it, on an animated <laughs> movie too, just being able to compose like with such you know, uh, you know, a kind of a big vision behind it, and it's you know, it's a twelve fifteen minute self composed piece. But yeah, it's, it's like. It's like Iron Giant style. Scoring. Yeah, it's like it's a just... ballet. It's ballet. It's very mm. ballet, balletic, balletic. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. And hey, Avatar, no long suites, as far as I can. It had oh, like a 12 minute one. action cue, man. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, War, right? Yeah. That's War. Ones, and and that's one of its be yeah. better cues. And going back to Avatar, just to say, there was some there were some music cues in the film that were amazing I, that I they left gonna, off the I, CD, I said that which in the chat room. I don't know why um, they did that. There's some really good music in Avatar that didn't make the album. I don't know why they did that, but okay. yeah, I mean that. Remember they they released like a three CD Oscar promo, and like the internet just went on fire trying to get you know that on various auction sites. It was quite a big deal, uh, at the, yeah, at the uh, time. Okay. You, you can apparently you can, fit, you can actually fill five CDs. That's what Simon Rhodes told me. You can fill five CDs with all the music written for Avatar. You wow. might not want to the recording session. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, maybe it'll, maybe I'll it'll just reuse it in these upcoming sequels that everyone's just can't wait for. <laughs> I say with sarcasm. Um, any any other? The only other one I was going underrated. to say is Mighty Joe Young. Yes. Mighty Joe Young was a score that I always admired. I liked the film. And uh, again, it's one that I don't, I don't think I've ever really read bad reviews or anything like that. It just it feels like people don't mention it. Um, I, yeah, it never did much for me. Yeah. Man, that last, the, the final cue, like 10-minute cue at the end is great. Yeah, that one. It's, it's actually it's one of those scores where I'm with you, Chris. It's not actually that enjoyable over its entire length. It's not like... But that um, last track is... Is wonderful. 
yeah there are just there are moments in that score where it's like holy crap this is amazing and and there are particular tracks that you would definitely want to pull out if you were making a compilation of uh, horner's best of yeah. i think so okay just, that's yeah right. that, that's true but it, that's that's like the, i think the opening two tracks and then the final tracks because i remember whenever i got that soundtrack i remember the middle of it bored me senseless so it really is it's kind of bookended nicely yeah yeah i yeah. agree that, that that nq is just lovely this Kind of a song, isn't it, or something? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very kind of dreamy. You know? it's, it's kind of this sort of African spiritual thing. It's, it's a little bit Lebo M-ish, but it's good. That's fine. Does it, is does it, it have the whiny African voices like they have in Avatar? And no. I hate that sound. If that's the sound, it is. I don't think the so. No, it's it's more Lion King type chanty stuff. Thing. Yeah, it's less whale and oh. more more like yeah, just Lion Kingy. Okay, it's been so long since I've listened to that. Um, okay. Uh, Doug, do you have any that are uh, that you consider underrated from James? I Warren? do actually. I'm a big fan of um, Sneakers. Oh uh-huh. yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Good call. The only score I like that has a saxophone. <laughs> Ever? <in it>. Ah. <laughs> kind okay. of. Um, yeah. Sneakers to me, you know, it, it's it's a it's kind of a cold picture in that it's very analytical, uh, you know, very kind of technological. Um, but I like that. I, I always felt that Horner brought a certain sense of, of almost melancholy to all of that. That it was sort of these, mm. you know, slightly past their prime guys trying to live a little bit in the past and a little bit in the future. And you know, there was the idea of, of the Robert Redford character trying to escape his past and all that. And I thought Horner right. brought a sort of subtext to all that that wasn't really highlighted in the picture that often, mostly because it couldn't afford to be the pacing of, of a somewhat action picture. Um, yeah. And, and I like that he sort of kept that in, in his crosshairs through most of the film. I like it when he does those those small-scale things sometimes. Um, you know, they, they often will get a little bit noodly and then unfocused, but I thought this was one where he really sort of kept the different elements under control for the most part. It maybe drags a little bit in the third act when he starts doing all that Von Williams string stuff. But when he's, you know, doing the, the pianos and the percussion, and I, lo- I like the, you know, like you say, the saxophone works well, and that, the little hi-hat riff that goes with it. I think there's some nice writing in there. And that was Branford Marcellus? That was Branford oh, Marcellus, that's right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah that's, that is an underrated score of his, um, for sure. And, uh, it's nice. Yeah, any uh, others? Uh, oh, no, sorry. I was just saying it's a nice picture, too. Um, it is. I really like that film. Yeah, that's really the one that sticks out to me the most, that, that I don't see people mentioned too often which is uh it's a nice little piece and, and for the most part pretty pretty original so i like that i, I remember thinking okay. whenever maybe you guys agree the 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 escape whistler's rescue that that was one of the cues which i always thought was one of the most williams-esque cues he ever wrote do you remember I, the one hmm. do you remember the one it's like these sort of flute trills here and there and it's, it's just very kind of i know it's that's the only cue i can think horner ever Sounded anything like Williams. I don't know whether that that was his huh. brief or if it was. What was the title of that one again? I want to go check it out. The later. Escape Whistler's Rescue. Um, it's whenever okay. they're chasing off in the van, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, it's quite fun. But it's funny you say that, Doug, about the Vaughn Williams bit. But whenever you said because that, that bit, whenever they're on the roof and you know Ben Kingsley and Robert Redford are kind of talking, and then these Vaughn Williams strings come in. But that that that's what you know. The sophistication I thought James Warner brought to it. Do you not? Is that not what you meant about the? He gave it that kind of gravitas, or do you mean earlier on? 
No, that's that's the scene that I'm referring to. Yes, there is yeah. that, like, that conversation. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Because I thought, I mean, that really does stand out. Because uh, I can't think of anyone, certainly in that period, scoring a movie that way. Especially a dialogue scene. Yeah. 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 Totally. Hmm. Nice one, um, Helen. Underrated Horner scores. Um, I, I'm thinking Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, I really I love that. like that. Aha. I actually listened to that again today. And it's just yes. very, for me, it's very different for Horner, you know, and I like it when he gets into his little melancholy, you now yes. light, dramatic stuff. Yeah, I, I highly, highly agree uh, with that one. For Straight sure. for the heart. Uh, any others? That's the only one that comes to mind right now. Okay, then. Um, who did I do? I did Richard. I did not do Richard. I'm underrated. Uh, I'd go with Troy. Everybody seems to kind of hate on that one. Uh, I don't yeah. disagree because I do think it, it, it has a bit of an unfortunate time of having to go up against Gabriel Guerra's rejected one. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a, you know... The kind of score that doesn't come come by every year, and then of course to get a ten day replacement Horner score com compared to a um, you know something that was rushed out in ten days and has you know the expected um, sort of self referencing going on in it, you can kind of see why it's become so disliked. But I do think that it does get a little bit unfortunately maligned because of that, and there are some good things. Yeah. To it. Well, when I, when I saw the film, I had no idea that there was another, you know, score and, uh, you know, and a rejected score by Gabriel Yared. But, but I felt that as the movie, it was just very flat and, and, and kind of uninteresting as a whole. So my, my, my kind of feeling about it doesn't, isn't really affected by what Gabriel Yared had done. But, um, yeah, that one... That's, it's interesting to me that you put that on the list, is all I'm saying. Hmm. Um, what else you got? Uh, also, I thought Bicentennial Man, which I don't really mm. hear anybody say anything about whatsoever. But um, mm -mm. I admit it's quite derivative, um, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the way <laughs> it is derivative, it's, I think it's really, really beautiful at its, at its, at its height. So yeah. whenever there's a wedding theme with Horner, it's pretty great. So I listen to that track mm, a lot. That's interesting. Th thematically speaking, across his that's career, true, actually, yeah. Whenever there is a wedding involved, he he pulls out um, and stops. Except except for the Avatar wedding, maybe. <laughs> There's a wedding. <laughs> I can't remember. What's that? Well, a a union. Weird wedding. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the whole tale ain't twice. Anyway. <laughs> um, USB interfacing. <laughs> Scene. You're like, wait a minute, you're 3.0, I only have 2.0. We, we're not compatible. So, uh, they call me Firewire. <laughs> okay, we're going off the rails. Um, by Centennial Man, I love that score. It is very derivative, but it's derivative in a emotionally yeah. satisfying way. <laughs> um, um, what else? Um, Deep Impact, I agree with Marius on most points, I think. Uh, yeah. I think that's one of my favorites, but I guess we'll talk about that. Later. Really? Yeah, I, I love okay. that score. Um, 
Wow. And House of Sand and Fog, which I think you agree. Is that is that you? I definitely yeah. agree. Yeah, it is me. Yeah, I think yeah, that's really I, good. I, I, I love that score. Sounds really good. In Has the- everyone heard that score? I have not. Has everyone heard yeah. House, of, House of Sand and Fog? That's probably that electronic is, now and then, from what I recall. Uh, I guess that, yeah, I guess so. It's just very spacious. It's very expansive. Um, and I love the film, so, you know, that has a lot of influence on me. But I don't hear anyone talk about that score, ever. Um, and, and I think it's it's quite an amazing some really long, long developing tracks in that one as well. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, did I miss anyone, Tim? I would go with Jillian uh, on her thirty seventh birthday. Uh, oh yeah, Spitfire Grill, and there. Those came out the same. Uh, year. I think they did actually. Yeah, I, I would, it's maybe I'm slightly biased. Uh, I mean, his French horn writing is just second to none. Um, you know, and like Deep, Deep Impact, there's this beautiful French horn, you know, duet. And he actually yeah. flew over Hugh Sinan from the LSO right over to America to duet with Jim Thatcher. And the musically speaking, if you listen to the performance, it's just so pitch perfect. And it's just, it is a wonderful, you know, that whole end credit sequence with them both, both yes. duetting with each other. It's just gorgeous. And uh, yes. so I, anything which has, I suppose, you know, like Field of Dreams would be up there too. Anything with those sort of stunning French horn solos would would always, you know, get get to get get to me. Um, but but mm-hmm. I, those two scores never get talked about, um, uh, and they they really are up there. They're just so gorgeous, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree with you. I, I was I admitted I think I bought those two scores at the same time, and I loved Tajillion so much you know listening through and then because i didn't hadn't seen the films i was just like on a james horner kick i was like oh those are by him okay i'll buy them um and this is when cds are like 17 18 20 dollars a pop you know so those were so um i was a little disappointed when i got to the spitfire grill but over the years i've really grown to to love that score um and uh, it's it's of a different branch of his type of he's he's done scores that sound similar to it since but i think when he did that one it was it was unique you know, in, in his employment of guitar and whatnot, and kind of putting that to the forefront, I don't think he had done that before that score. Um, I could be wrong, but that was my introduction to that that vein of the of the Horner score uh, legacy. So I agree with you there. Hey Edmund, what about you? Uh, well, I mentioned um, Mighty Joe Young. We already talked about um, another one of mine was The Legend of Natty Gan. Wow. <laughs> There's one for you. Um, it's a, it's a pretty early one for him. I'm, just, I'm trying to see where it's from, what year it was. I don't know if I've ever heard. It was '85, that. I think. Uh, it was. Um, I think it was Jer- Journey. The of Journey, Nettigan, Journey of Net again. Yeah, sorry, not Legend. Um, okay, I still don't think I've ever heard. Uh, that. Yeah, it's it's a really nice little score. It's it's um, I get it's kind of a western, I guess. But um, I, he's he actually it's actually a replacement score for Elmer Bernstein. What? Yeah. Oh my god. And. Um, but it's it's very sort of sweet and melodic, and um, I mean a lot of it's kind of a, a, lo- a lot of it reminds me of his animated scores like American Tale and The Land Before Time. It's that kind of writing, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a really s- nice sweet score. Mm. Okay. And all right. Now, if no one's ever heard it, then obviously it's a good one to pick. Um, yeah. And well then my done. other one was The Perfect Storm. 
Oh yeah, yeah. that's a great one. I've forgotten about that yet. Yeah. I I really like the the way he uses electric guitars in that one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it, it does have a different vibe yeah. to it. Okay. Nice. Well, I think most of you have said what I was going to say. Well, two that you didn't. I'll just list them quickly. Man Without a Face. I think that's 92, 93-ish, somewhere in there. Um, I really, it's very, very melancholic. Yeah, and I really, I really love that vein of his, of his, of his music. Um, very sad, uh, maybe even more than melancholy. It's just sad. <laughs> But I really like it, and, and you don't hear people talk about that too often. Um, but I, I do think it's a really, really uh, amazing score. Searching Bobby Fisher, as Helen's already mentioned, and then all all the King's Men, which what two thousand six, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I really like that score. Um, it's very it's it's got a real kind of weighty weight to it. Um, it's very dramatic and weighty, and I really enjoy listening to that score. I don't know. But no one ever talks about it. I mean, ever. And um, I don't know why. I think it's I think it's a really solid effort from him. Um, I can't... It doesn't remind me of... Even though it has, of course, very clear um, reused elements, it still feels like a different animal to that score. Does anyone else... Have, what does everyone else think of that particular score? I mean, is it just like a humdrum... I didn't don't do much for you. I'm just curious why no one ever talks about it. I don't think I've ever heard it. Oh, really? I can't remember it at all. I can't remember it wow. either. Yeah, I haven't heard it. Hmm. Oh, I recommend you check it out. I think I've heard it, but it didn't really do anything for me. Yeah? <laughs> it is the one I'm thinking okay. of. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Sean Penn. Uh, yes, that's the one. That's the one. Yep. All right. Well, quite a plethora of titles to select from if those of you listening to this podcast um, are looking for something from James Horner that you may not have heard before. There's a good list for you. Um, so real quickly, um, uh, let us do let's ask this question uh, and we'll, we'll close with I'm going to flip the flip flop the questions a little bit from uh, and, and ask this first. Uh, where do you guys fall on the great Horner controversy and what that controversy is? Is oh, he rips himself off, or he's ripping him, ripping off X, Y, or Z composer, and he's a hack? Um, and the flip side being, well, that may be, but the music sounds great and it works well in context. Um, this is opportunity for you to get out there into the universe. What you feel about that? Because it's it has been the topic of uh, innumerable threads on message boards since the internet was born. And um, that's one reason why I stopped going to message boards, because every two or three years, that that topic would come <laughs> up, and the same exact argument would be hashed out by new people over and over again. I was just like, this is <laughs> So, um, uh, Edmund, what do you, where do you come out on that great Horner controversy? Um, I think it's blown a bit out of proportion. I do think that I, I, I heard, I've heard an argument that, um, that you're supposed to look at James Horner's career kind of as this one giant ever evolving symphony and that he's kind of constantly coming back what? to different, to different themes or, um, 
That's one argument I've heard. Another argument I've heard is that he has this, uh, that he's kind of has this sort of synesthesia type thing where certain emotions are just always represented by certain sounds in his mind. So danger will always uh-huh. be doo <laughs> And wait, what is that? Hey, it, it took us like an hour and a half before we got to that. That was that's, that's pretty that, good. That's pretty yeah. impressive. We can all go home that's now. That's pretty impressive. We're that's done pretty here. Good. Sorry, I broke the spell. But yeah, that's another argument I've heard. Um, I'm hmm. not sure whether I agree with either argument, but I, I think it doesn't really bother me that much. That, what doesn't bother you that much? The danger? Um, that specifically, the whole... but the whole reusing thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, often he'll take, he'll take something that's recognizably a theme from an older score and then put a new spin on it, which I actually enjoy. Yeah. Like if you trace sort of the evolution of that one sort of, I'm not really sure what to call it, but it's kind of this genius motif, I guess, which started, I think, in sneakers and then sort of developed through Bicentennial Man into a beautiful mind. And it mm. sounds it sounds quite different each time, but it's recognizably sort of the same root. And it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear those different variations on a similar idea. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if, a, clearly not, but it would be great if a director one day said, or maybe they have said it by firing him, but <laughs> um, like, don't do, I don't want anything <laughs> that you've done, no motifs, no nothing that you've mm-hmm. done before. And he's like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> um, uh, Mary, so where do you fall on the on the great Horner controversy? Um, I don't, I mean, why is this a controversy uh, would be my question. I mean, is, is someone doubting that he reuses material is is that the because i think it's well, pretty the the conclusion that he's a hack because of oh that. i see is it yeah that. oh i hate horner because he does he reuses all his own stuff or he or he steals from someone well, else. well look i mean anyone who knows classical music and knows film scores knows that it's not you know it's not a new thing horner i think his problem is that his um recycling is obvious even to the layperson in a way that maybe some of the other composers who do it um, you know, they, they kind of escape from that scrutiny. But mm. um, I, to be honest, it's never really bothered me that much. The only instance of it that pulls me out of the film is the danger motif. Um, and it's, <laughs> it, it might be partly because of all the discussion that's emerged around it. I mean, it's it's just now <laughs> yeah. it's it's a it's a comedy thing for me. Like, it's just funny. It's true. <laughs> Like where's like where Wilhelm it? scream? It yeah, like it's that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's it's become the Wil- Wilhelm scream of film of scores. Film so music. it's not even, yeah. you know, because I can't awesome. criticize it. I can't criticize it on the basis of not working as a danger motif or anything like that. It's just it's now just funny. Whenever that shows up, I'm gone. Who cares about the film? I'm laughing. There it is, danger motif. Um, so right. it's it's like okay, but outside of that, I can't like it doesn't. It doesn't really bother me. I, I can't say he's a hack because if you listen even to what he does with the recycled material and you listen outside of that, I mean, the man knows what he's doing. He's 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 got the kind of writing chops that um, well, a, a Tyler Bates, for instance, uh, does not have. Period. Oh. So it's not even, you know, he's he's just I, I admire his work um, sort of for what it is. I, I, I understand that some uh composers just don't really flex that much um in terms mm. of of their sound but why 
Why do you guys think that he takes the brunt of it? You know, I don't hear. It, he and maybe it's different it these days. I'm not on the board than any other but. composer. Yeah, like I think he can try to hide hmm. it. It's you know? no, I think, not like other composers <laughs> at least tweak it a little bit. You know, and he just yeah. copies and pastes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's why I said yeah. I think his his problem is that the lifting of his own themes that he does uh, is done in a way that's obvious to anyone that's listening. Like you don't actually have to even be paying particular attention to the music yeah. <laughs> to pick up on it. Yeah. Like we we notice these things because this is what we do. This is what we love. But even average sure. people uh, can pick up on Horner's instances of this. Whereas I don't think that's the case necessarily with so many other composers that we can say oh my god it's, they lifted that from you know uh hansen symphonies or something like who knows just, that it's not it's just good branding people it's good branding it's a good That's point marius makes uh, you know my, my wife would always pick up on uh and it's actually for some reason it's almost uh chronological because deep impact uh bicentennial man um they both have the, the very similar piano motif that was in Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, like she loves the Titanic soundtrack. And you know, like, I suppose mo- many ladies, they, they just like that style of writing. And it's true, D- Deep Impact and uh, Bicentennial Man have almost identically the same um, few bars, you know, the piano theme from Titanic, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Not it's not, not, you know, it's just not saying it's a bad thing, but it's just it's a it's a good point, yeah, you know, to, it's to, true. to the, to the casual ear, it, it's it's very noticeable. It's it's true because I, I, think... um, I watched I watched Troy with a friend once, and then a week later we went and saw Avatar, and he noticed the danger motif. He said that's from Troy. <laughs> and you're like, no, said, it's really it predates it's, Troy it's, by it's actually from Star Trek two or but four whatever. Eras. <laughs> And I think anything that's in Titanic is going to be picked up by more people, you know, yeah. than anything else because everyone knows that music so it's well. Fun enough, uh, right? Doug, what do you say? Where do you fall uh, on the Great Horner controversy? It's, it's set complicated. Us, set us right it's complicated. You know, the the trick with Horner <laughs> is it's true that throughout film music history and and concert music history, there have been composers who have taken ideas from one. That, that's part of the tradition. That's always been there. The thing with Horner is that he doesn't take individual ideas per se. He takes, well, he, he often does, but he just as often takes long passages and will mm-hmm. sort of tweak this or that and insert the entire thing. Um, again, that comes down to where does one stand on such practices. And the, the tricky part is Horner's never really explained what it is that he's trying to accomplish. He's, he's, He's an absolutely brilliant dramatist, in my opinion. He knows exactly what a scene needs yeah. thematically, in terms of mood, in terms of you know instrumentation, everything. He always knows what a scene needs. Um, given that degree of skill, I feel it's well nigh impossible that he's including these borrowed elements by accident. Now, yeah. it's not an accident. No, well, it I mean, you know... In order to remain unlibelous here, I'm going to say it's very <laughs> um, But, uh, you know, that is part of an older film music tradition. And I often wonder if he's trying, you know, if that is inherently his approach and he just doesn't want to speak on it because it's not 
particularly sexy or doesn't look good in a press release that, yes, I'm using these quotes, you know, to, to put it together. Because that really was for where film music in many ways came from. There were, there were always these two sure. schools of thoughts, the original scores and the compiled scores. And at some point they began to collide into one another. You know, this is back in the very early silent days and all that. Um, mm -hmm. Case in point, I have, I have two quotes here that I'd like to read, if you don't mind. Uh, one is it. from a, a somewhat recent Alex Ross piece in The New Yorker that he wrote around the time uh, Horner was up for the Oscar for Titanic. And the article says, mid midpoint of the article is kind of about film music and the general health of film music. Uh, it says, what does Horner's windfall say about the artistic health of Hollywood composing? If he wins an Oscar for Best Original Dramatic Score, prospects for the art will seem bleak. Then again, no one should be surprised to know that the Academy Award voters seldom do justice to this category. Film scoring is, like editing or costume design, one of those below-the-line industries whose practices remain arcane, even to many in the movie business. And in truth, composers should be judged not only by what they produce, but uh, by what they must put up with. They arrive late in the process and must churn out an hour or more of music in a few weeks. Their work may be rearranged back to front or chopped into fragments or thrown away altogether. It takes a rapid, inventive mind to thrive in such conditions and still stay honest. Now, compare that to another quote. I'm, you know, if anyone watches my Twitter, you see that I've been doing a lot of research in very early film music right now. Uh, this is from a 1924 review to the score to um, The Thief of Baghdad, scored by an American composer named Mortimer Wilson. And in a very, very complimentary review, this passage appears. One may not claim great originality for this music, but it has many other qualities that recommend it even more highly to the general public. It could not be both generally popular and highly original, as the music of Puccini has demonstrated. So there's sort of interesting to show that this has always been a topic of discussion, especially in film yeah. music circles. Um, it becomes complicated because it really does force people to sort of take a side and say, well, he shouldn't be doing this or he should be doing this. And he never really wants to speak on the subject. So we're left to guess exactly what the intent is. Is he pretending like it yeah. doesn't occur? Is he using it as some sort of meta reference that none of us are getting? Is it, <laughs> is it just part of the craziness of having to compose a two hour score in 10 days? You know, it, I never really know what to think of it. The fact remains that there yeah. are huge passages in many of these scores, in fact, I dare say the majority of his scores, that remind me of <laughs> other works, either his or classical mm -hmm. or another film composer in a couple of instances. And there have been lawsuits and there have been complaints by others, so this isn't something that just the fans make up. I can remember sitting right. in a screening of, uh, what was it, Patriot Games. So again, we're back into the early 90s here, aren't we, I think? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. And, and during the um, that satellite sequence where they're watching the the bad guys getting their comeuppance over the satellite feed, uh, he starts mm -hmm. a little dissonant string line, which is of course the same or very very similar to the string line that begins Aliens, which is of course very very similar to something that Cacciatorian once wrote. And the mm -hmm. the couple next to me, who I I didn't know them at all. They were not musicians. They had nothing to do with film or music. Turned to one another during that scene and went. There's that music again. <laughs> well, people wow. do notice these things, but Horner doesn't want to speak on them, and I, I don't really know what we're to make of them. So it makes a very, very, very complicated relationship. Speaking purely for <laughs> myself, it makes me listen to James Horner a lot less than I might otherwise. 
There are some of his scores I still like. I still like The Rocketeer. I still like Sneakers. I thought of two more while we were talking. I like uh, Brainstorm, and I actually like his uh, little Roger Rabbit cartoon, the Tummy Trouble score. Um, <laughs> wow, I don't even you know, remember it's like that. Carl Stalling, wow. Scott Brad type of thing. Very, oh, okay. very busy, but shows uh-huh. a lot of chops. Um, there are, of course, always rumors that he had some help with some of these things, but I, <laughs> I'm already so close to getting sued that I'm not going to say anything anyway. <laughs> I literally, I was in L.A. one time, and I literally had somebody pull me aside in a session. This is when I was writing a bit more for uh, Films from Monthly and other journalistic pursuits. And somebody pulled me aside, Godfather style, said, hey, lay off a Horner for a while, all right? He doesn't like it. Wow. <laughs> so, overall, staying back and minding my business. I have a couple of other stories that I still keep in my face. But, uh, I don't I can, I can see I can see you getting a letter in the mail, no return address. You open it up. One slip of paper in there, and it's the musical notation for the danger <laughs> motif with James Horner's signature in the bottom. <laughs> like, keep it up, bud. This is what's coming. <laughs> that would be the best thing ever. Well, that's it. You know, Doug is part of Films Come Monthly uh, online folklore. That the reason it took us so long to get a James Horner interview is because because of Doug. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh really? Wow! Oh, it's a good. That's so you actually got one, but so that's either that, impressive. either that, or Jeff Bond. I can't remember, but it's one of you two. Uh, I don't. I, well, I if James Horner, if you're listening, much, so I guess <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, just remember this is happy birthday <laughs> from us. <laughs> it's such a wonderful birthday. I hope I can see someone as a podcast full of character assassination for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Horner. I do appreciate your skill. Uh, no, no horse heads in my bed tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Richard, what, what, what do you say? Where do you fall on on this uh, uh, controversy? I like him enough to forgive most of the time, so I don't want other composers um, plagiarizing themselves in the way that he does. But considering how much I like most of the passages that he copies from himself, I can forgive it most of the time. <laughs> okay. Well, can can I just say this? Um, I think when I, I started, I fell away from that discussion when I realized for myself that, yes, I recognize that he self-plagiarizes. Maybe I don't pick up on, on, on all of the, the classical pieces that he's, he's borrowing or being influenced by. But in the end, even though the stuff sounds exactly the same or very similar, especially in context, it usually works and i and i'm feeling what i think i'm supposed to be feeling and then afterwards even if the movie's not that great let's say a bicentennial man when i listen to the music it's like wow this is it really somehow it works and and i just enjoy it and it's like okay i know there could be you could say this or that about it but when i listen to the music it works for me and that's kind of the end of it you know, and and I got tired of the discussions because I knew it was never going to convince someone otherwise, and they weren't going to convince me otherwise. Because when I hit play, I enjoy what I hear most of the time. Um, so that's kind of where I come out. Um, Tim, did you get to share where you come out on it? Uh, well, it's very much the same as as, as you, really. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it works definitely works for what he's writing for. As Doug says, I mean, he's. One of the best dramatists out there, and, and that's that's him fulfilling his role primarily. And um, I mean, the first time I ever noticed the the, the lifting of 
uh, a classical reference would have been the Lamb Before Time, actually, you know, that bit from Peter and the Wolf. That, that was the, I remember mm. that stood out because I always listened to that growing up as well, Peter and the Wolf, because, I mean, it's one of those things that, mm. you know, children should listen to while growing up. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, that would kind of stuck out. But, you know, it doesn't bother me. It just, I suppose it's, uh, you know, he had a very classical upbringing, you know, his Royal College of Music in, in London for, you know, education there and uh, being surrounded by classical music was his thing. And that, that was his original intention. I mean, I'm sure you've all read that. He, he wanted to be a, a classical musician and concert music was his thing, but he just couldn't get a break into it. So film music was really his, his chosen avenue. And thankfully for us, uh, that's what we've uh, experienced for the past, what, 40 years? Mm hmm. Yeah. That's a bit gushing, sure. I suppose. Well, that, I mean, that's just a... well, no, it's, well, what's so interesting about that is, I mean, that gives some kind of a little credence, credence to what Edmund said earlier about him having this, this one symphony that he's just, you know, uh, that it's evolving from from score to score, um, but the the flip side of that is if man if you wanted to be that, then well I don't know maybe maybe that is the approach you take and you're just writing uh, variations on what you've written before. But it would seem like you're coming up with new stuff from virtual scratch each each time. So which is the exact opposite of or close to the opposite of what he does within the film world. I don't know. That's that's. That's a really interesting juxtaposition of uh, where he started, where he wanted to go, to what he's doing. I think, I think um, it's worth mentioning, actually, just talking of classical, he's been commissioned by the London Philharmonic to write a French horn concerto, uh, which he's re recording wow. next year, I believe, uh, with David Pyatt and uh, Jim Thatcher. He's flying over from the US over here. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. So I think that, that should be something yeah. for us all to look forward to, you know? Absolutely. The first recording of a Horner concert work, won't it? I, I think so. Doug. Yeah, I've never I'm heard sure of you're one. Right there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think Spectral yeah. Shimmers exists someplace. Yeah, in that's like Indiana's. Like, uh, he did some really what old thing. There's something he did called Spectral Shimmers. I thought it that I had a memory of that. All the uh, all the big action eighties eighties uh, action scores. Oh really? Huh. Uh, okay. Yeah, it before like never any heard of it. He, stuff he did. I think got a reading. I believe by the okay. Indianapolis Symphony or something like that. And I, th I think they recorded hmm. it for their own files, but it's obviously never been released. Hmm. Wow. Um, Helen, did you get to go? Uh, no, I'll be brief. I'm kind of tired of it, so I don't... Tired yeah, of the, the whole no, discussion? No, the, the plagiarism, <laughs> the self-plagiarism. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I don't buy Horner scores anymore. I like the early stuff because it still feels fresh and, un, you know, uncopied. Undiluted. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but you know, uh -huh. nothing abused. really since Titanic. Uh, I, wow. recommend, uh, I recommend Spider-Man, Helen. Uh, did you like Spider-Man? Yeah, well, actually, I did. There's hardly that. any self-plagiarism in that. I did buy that. I, I yeah, there's definitely some yeah. interesting stories around that score, which I can't say. <laughs> but <laughs> <With> that, <laughs> <laughs> there's some interest. There's some interesting things that I've heard. It's like, it's really? the most wow. Acted okay. podcast ever. Redacted podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, all, it's all revealed in the liner notes, though. Just read through the lines. It's, it's, it's in the liner notes. <laughs> I'm surprised no one brought that in into the discussion any earlier. I was expecting someone to put the Amazing Spider-Man down somewhere. Um, but I'm kind of glad you didn't. Um, 
<laughs> so did, was that everyone? I didn't want to miss anyone on that on that point. Um, because I wanted to, and I know we're gonna give. I was wanted everyone to give their top three. I don't think we have time for that. So I want everyone to give their top. If there's one score that you're gonna recommend from a James from James Horner's uh, very full, robust um, uh, portfolio, what score would that be? And we'll start with our guests, uh, Tim. One score, your top James Horner score to date. Well. I suppose an American Tale will always hold that kind of place in my heart for purely sentimental reasons. But, I mean, it, it's one actually that deserves a really nice remastering. It's not a brilliant recording, and there's a lot of unreleased music, so hopefully maybe one of the labels will give it a bit of a deluxe treatment. But uh, that for me is just... And even the songs are so nice, you know? It's just one of those scores and song combinations which work, because the songs don't... They're not glaring out of place, you know. They're, they're, it all flows beautifully. Mm, mm, mm. It is it is a wonderful score, and it works with the song as well. I agree. Uh, Doug Adams, your top. If you had to recommend one James Horner score to somebody, which would it be? I still think my Horner listening peaked early. I still like the Rocketeer quite a bit. I think it's a good combination of his large orchestral palette and his smaller sort of the piano tuneful stuff that he likes to write. It's a, uh, mm-hmm. you, you hear a few Hornerisms in there, but um, several of them are unique to that score. They, they were used later down the line. So it's, it's, a, it's a very nice combination of, of all the things that he does, I think. Doesn't, maybe not some of that, um, the minimalistic sound that he developed later into the 90s. Uh, but, uh, you know, for a for sort of full-blooded orchestral score, that's a, a very nice piece. Beautiful themes, some nice development, some very flashy brass writing. It's, it's a strong score. Yeah, absolutely. Just, and they're remaking that movie, aren't they? Are Did they? I hear that somewhere? I thought. I don't know. I think that I, I, everything is being remade. New release on Blu-ray recently, or maybe it's coming on Blu-ray. But uh, that that end credits, you know, the, the last few bars, what a finale! Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I liked it in Star Trek too, as well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Helen said she was tired of the, the discussion. No, not the discussion. The music. Oh, the, the, the yes, plagiarism. Yes. Yeah, got um, Richard, one James Horner score, which would it be? It's kind of hard. Uh, I can know, I not give that's you why two? I'm asking it. No. Nope. Oh, come on, that's too uh-huh. difficult. Um, Just one. Just, okay, I'd have it. to go Deep Impact. It's po- Aliens. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> deep deep impact. impact, yes. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I, I really love that one. You must elaborate on but why. I think it takes all of the things I like about him and puts it in. Put them into one score, basically. Hmm. Uh, okay. But, okay. That, uh, if I ask this question, it will just get the whole thing going in. So I won't <laughs> ask it. Deep impact. Okay. Uh, Marius, one. Um, for me, it would have to be Beautiful Mind. It would have to be oh, Beautiful Mind because you have right. none of the danger motif. You have all of the beauty. You have... <laughs> Um, just an incredible build through the album and you have him sounding almost a little bit like uh, Thomas Newman here and there in that score um, and it's just it's it's very very um, enjoyable it's, it's definitely the one that I return to probably most often um, like even wow, like really? seriously just open it up and play the first like five tracks that's all you need mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it is it it's is. gorgeous 
and Charlotte Church, Charlotte Church's voice works yeah. so well in that. It's just superb. It's uh, it's it's a wonderful score. That would be that would be my my one that I would definitely want to make sure everyone has heard from from uh, James Horner. Okay, Helen, the uh, one. Um, Krull. <laughs> yes, Krull. Uh, overrated one. <laughs> Didn't you hear I what know, Doug said earlier I about know, that score? You, you bit your tongue very well. I did. <laughs> no, I, I just I love it. Why crawl? It's, it's just got that classic corner fantasy um, action combination that I, you know, I really like from Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a real hard choice between Wrath of Khan and Crawl, but I'm going to settle for Crawl. Well, the suite you posted today from that YouTube video was awesome. was, was a very good Wasn't sampling it? of that. It's awesome. You know, of that score, yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, it's good to hear one from you know ages past make it in there. Uh, oh well, though you said American Tale, didn't you, Tim? Yeah, that was what eighty six, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah, was. Um, that's right. Yeah, definitely. Golden Age. Okay. We, we haven't really talked about Cocoon. I mean, that's a big one. That, uh, that was a, a lovely one as well, you know. And, yeah, no Field of Dreams, uh, no these are knows. big seminal scores and films, and I suppose we'd be here all... Yeah. And we haven't really talked about Willow, that's a big one. Yeah, I was just going to say, Willow hasn't yeah. come up yet. No one's mentioned that, yeah. Yep. Okay, well, Edmund, <laughs> would you like to no, say Willow? No, I would not. I would like to say The Rocketeer, even oh, though okay. it's already been said. It's it's pretty much my favorite Horner score. Um, hmm. I don't, just, it's just so bright and busy and fun, and the themes are amazing, and... It's great. I love it. <laughs> okay. It is very good. And I'm going to say, because um, uh, my own list, I think I, I think my list makes this number one, um, but I'm going to change from my own list. I'm going to say Searching for Bobby Fischer. Um, I love, I adore that score. There's something just underneath it that, I can't quantify, but there's some there's just some force that runs through that score that is really, 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 really powerful to me, and very emotional. And I don't know. I wish I could explain what it is, um, but it's a thread that I find we woven into other similar scores of his, but none of them quite nail that thing. And um, um, so I'm going to say for tonight, I'm going to say Searching for Bobby Fisher. That's the score I would give someone and say, listen to this and uh, tell me it's not amazing. Um, and if they are a human being, I think they would like it right. That's, that's really good. Um, did I miss anyone? I think I got everyone on that. Um, so last question, where, does, where, does, where do you think Horner falls in the history of film music, you know, when he stops making music? Um, it is he loved, beloved, um, or how is he? How do you think he's going to be remembered uh, more than anything else, um, Doug? Well, sad to say, but I'm sure the controversy will be will be remembered. I mean, you know, anyone yeah. that looks back on the internet in, in 50 years from now is going to see that first and foremost. Um, yeah. I think he'll be, you know, I think he'll be remembered for Titanic. I think Titanic is is a seminal score for him because it's both a blessing and a curse. Uh, it was a blessing because it was enormously profitable and popular, uh, but it was mm-hmm. also the score that brought so much attention to him that questions began to arise. Um, 
Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's it's the best thing that happened to him and the worst thing that happened to him. It really is, I think, in terms of his career. You know, or even yeah, I can remember at one point watching. I think the. Uh, I think I'm remembering this correctly, but watching the Braveheart director's commentary on, on the disc and uh, Mel Gibson mm-hmm. complaining that, you know, he reused all this stuff in, ti- in Titanic, but he did it better here first. I don't know why he did it. Oh, that. I remember that. Yeah. Is, that's right. I agree. And I, I agree with I guess I'm gonna, If I'm going <laughs> to insult Warner, I could throw, uh, throw Mel Gibson on the fire here. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's done it himself so many times already. That's so, yeah. yeah, well, I figure the lawyers have bigger problems. <laughs> um, that's right, because he praises Horner's score quite a lot in that commentary, doesn't he? Right, yeah. he, does. he does. He does, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Yeah. Okay, so it'll, his controversy will live on. I think on. so. I think so. Yeah, Tim, what do you say? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty, pretty much like with Doug. I mean, Titanic will be it, and you know the songs, the Celine Dion collaboration. You know, for the commercial radio aspect in me would you know a lot of people see him as this big songwriter for Celine Dion because she's very radio friendly um you know yeah. I mean, away from the film music side of things he I think along with John Williams uh he would be certainly in, in the league of crossing over from film music to the popular culture kind of isma if you know what I mean yeah yeah I think so I think he's right on that like Hans Zimmer as well I suppose uh, yeah Oh yeah. Well, he's he's there. He, he's there. <laughs> um Richard, what do you say? What do you think his legacy is um, going to be? Well, I'd hope it would be just people appreciating how good his music is. Um in terms of emotion and music, I don't think there's anyone better right now. Hmm. Just pure emotion heard mm-hmm. in the music regardless of whether it's been done before. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, and I'll just add on to what I was saying earlier. To me, the ability to take the same music, kind of, essentially, and making it work in another movie and it still be emotional to me is is pretty amazing talent. I don't know how you do that, um, but that seems like it's impossible to do. But yet, it takes a special my, kind my... of hack. <laughs> <laughs> James, that's. At Edmund Minus on Twitter, if you want to respond. I don't care. I got a message from James Horner. I don't care how angry he is. If it's his lawyer, it might be a different story. Um, Marius, what do you say? What do you think his legacy, James Horner's legacy? Um, Well, first of all, this is a very morbid conversation for a birthday thing. We're talking about his legacy. No, not that he's going to die, but just when he's he's Um, done. You know, when I think done. the bottom line is that he will have a legacy. I don't. I don't know that it will fall like it's not going to suddenly solidify. I think it'll probably be the same conversations that have been occurring for the past fifteen years, but they'll just continue yeah. going forward. Um, so I think the bottom line is that there will be a conversation. I don't think he'll be forgotten. I think that um, if nothing else, he will always have a legacy. I think he's clearly established himself in the uh, pantheon of film score history, and I mean. What more could you ask for, really, as an artist um, than that? So, sure. so I think, you know, the takeaway from from all of this is that whatever we're saying, we're talking about him, and I don't yep. see that changing. Absolutely, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Totally agree, Helen. What do you say? I think Marius m- nailed it, but I also wanted to um, make notes that everybody seems to really love his animation scores. You know that despite yeah. hmm. despite you know, all the controversy, um, you know, he really puts in a lot of work 
good work in in the animated mm -hmm. category and i think that says something you know it's giving a gift mm. for Zico kids in the future mm. Mm. that's true he hasn't done one in a long time that i can try to just go through my brain nothing comes to mind oh, except the uh, page master uh, or Alto, one, i think this is his last one no he did uh, no he did Say what? Um, Alto, which I think. One? Um, no, it was Spider Week product. Spider Week product Balto. was the last one. Yes. That wasn't animated, oh, was it? That was an animated. It wasn't animated. No. No, it wasn't oh, animated. Right. It was pretty good, but it wasn't I animated. Just one of those, right? Okay, sorry. Well, maybe it was Balto. Maybe Balto's was, like yeah, 93. Balto was one of the 95 there. scores that he did, kind of overshadowed by oh, was it 95? 95 scores okay. he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point, Ellen. He, his, his animated work does seem Stand to out, be, you know, way above the rest. You know. Well, As in John Howard, and I must object, but oh well. <laughs> well, no, no, not rest of composers. Rest no, above of the rest of his stuff. stuff. Uh, I think it's beloved, uh, but yeah. But it's an interesting point because we haven't talked He'd about it. It'd be an interesting kind of, choice for a Pixar film at some point, really. They've, they've kind of mm. stopped really making movies, animated movies that he could do, though. Because, I mean, I, I guess that's because he's never done a 3D one, but, you know. Who makes no, 2D yeah. animations anymore? Yeah, sadly, no one. Japan. They need to. Yes, That's you should go true. to Japan. That's very true. <laughs> uh, Edmund, so what do you say? What is his legacy? Um, well, I, I'm sure he will be remembered. I don't think he will ever top Titanic in terms of his own exposure. So I think that'll kind of, that'll, like others have said, that'll kind of hang over him a little bit. But I, I think... Um, going forward, I'm, I'm kind of not really sure what his career is going to do because we had this sort of worrying gear of him losing assignments all over the place. And, yeah. and lately there has been a backlash against outwardly emotional music in, in, um, in scores, in film. I mean, if you remember the, the, the war horse thing. And I wonder whether James mm -hmm. Horner could become sort of a casualty of that kind of thinking. And I really hope it doesn't happen. I really mm -hmm. don't like that thinking. So, yeah, I think we're kind of in the midst of that yeah. era. You know, I mean, it, it's that's why something like The Great Gatsby stands out so much. Not that it's earth shattering. It's just like, wow, this has a personality. There's yeah. emotion in this. Wow, I love it. You know, um, yeah. but, but yeah. At, Hopefully, hopefully. But as for Horner, to me, in my mind, there's kind of this circle of five composers of the digital age, let's say the post-Star Wars age, um, and he's one of those five. I, he's, I, I mean, if you're curious, the other ones are Williams, Goldsmith, Elfman, and Simmer for me. And those five kind of stand out as the five big film composers of our age. Hmm. And he is one of them. Okay. And yes. he's among them. Okay. That's high praise, high praise. Um, actually, I have nothing to add to that. I think I think you guys have said it very, very well in, in a lot of different ways. I do think we'll always be talking about them, one way or another, and um, that's that's a good thing. Um, that's a good thing. So uh, that's going to do it. We want to say happy birthday to James Horner last week. Happy belated birthday. Um, it was it was fun to talk about James Horner because he has so many titles. I mean, this we could go on for many, many more hours because there's so many titles that still have not come up in this conversation. Uh, but that's for, you know, his 65th birthday or something. <laughs> Who knows? Um, we'll do that. But um, 
Doug, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and the other important meetings that you're having um, to come on the Soundcast. Um, is there anything that we should be looking forward to in the near future from, <laughs> from you or, you know, something? I don't Depends know. whether or not you cut out all the insults I put in this podcast. Be drummed out of the business <laughs> after tonight. Uh, yeah, there's a few projects in the uh, in the pipeline, and I can't speak of any of them. So, <laughs> come on, you're already on yeah, the roll. Like just put it all. Uh, you know, keep your eyes on my Twitter feed. Doug Adams Music. Uh, will uh, I, I might be taking some road trips in the next month or so. Yeah, cool. Nice. Hopefully, fingers nice. crossed. Very good. Are you coming over to London again anytime soon? I would absolutely love to. It's not in the immediate future, but I definitely plan to at some point. Cool. Good. Home away from home. I love it over there. <laughs> and Tim J. Burden, um, where can people find and follow you? Hey, well, you, you can find me at uh, FSM online or um, timburden.com or if you listen to Q Radio, um, wherever in the world, you can go to qradionetwork.com. And if you speak, okay. if you speak German, you, you, you could... Read Cinema Musica, which is one of the, I think it's the only, well, one of the few remaining print magazines on film music, and it's uh, it's lovely. So there's an interview with Alan Silvestri uh, in the next edition, which is out in, I think, four or five weeks. So. Oh, nice. And so you speak German? Uh, a little bit. Uh, well, no, I, I can I can read it. I, I, <laughs> but the, the guy the guys translate it for me. I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. Okay. Uh, a little bit, I read. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Good. Very good. Well, well, we appreciate both of you taking time to talk James Horner. Richard, where can people find um, and follow you? On Twitter at MonkeyButlerMan. Still haven't got that story yet. One day. One day. One day. Uh, Marius, find and follow I'm you. I'm on Twitter at Mathazar. Helen. I'm on Twitter at Helen Sun. Edmund. Uh, Twitter at Edmund Meinertz. And me. Um, you can follow me personally if you want to for whatever strange reason at C. Coleman on, on Twitter. Um, if you want to follow us officially on Twitter, you can do so at Track Sounds. Um, you can email us, soundcast at tracksounds.com. You can send us a, or record and send us a voicemail. Tell us who you, tell us who you, or, or what you think of james horner and his music what do you like what do you don't like what are your favorites what are the most underrated overrated all of that stuff you can put in a nice short voicemail using our little speak pipe um speak pipe app not app uh i'm at a loss for at this point in time now the, the plug-in that's on the on our website comes out it's right in your face it's impossible to miss it you can use that or you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash track sounds uh, subscribe to us. You can do that on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. We're now on TuneIn Radio, as, as um, Mary said before. Leave us some comments. Leave us a rating, good, bad, whatever. We Just give us some feedback. We want to know what you think. It's very important to us. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for the 64th episode of the Soundcast. I want to thank um, both Doug and Tim once again for coming on and for everyone in the chat room for hanging around for so long and uh, ke keeping things awesome. And uh, so until we are doing another one of these, we want to say may the notes be with you.